Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Thanks, Dan. The question before the Washington Supreme Court, I think, is whether a florist who sells regularly to her LGBT customers, a refusal to provide for a same-sex marriage, is that discrimination or is that protected by religious freedom? Our guest today, Professor Stephen Smith from University of San Diego Law School, who filed a friend of the court brief in the Arlene Flowers case. Steve, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Good to be with you, Alan. So, uh, the Arlene Flowers case, a lot of our listeners probably heard about this through the media, but start by giving us a, a basic synopsis of, of what happened here. Okay. Uh, well, the defendant in the case is uh, Baronel Stutzman, uh, a sort of senior citizen who in Washington who has operated a business called Arlene's Flowers. I think it was a goes back in her family years, and she's operated it for many years. She had sold floral arrangements to uh, a customer named uh, Rob Ingersoll for, I think, about nine years, uh, several thousand dollars worth of flowers. Uh, she doing this. Uh, she knew that he was gay, that a lot of the flowers were, were for birthdays or Valentine's Day. For his partner, Kurt Fried, she considered uh, Rob to be a good friend. But one day when he came in and asked her to do the floral arrangements for um, his and Kurt's wedding, she explained to him that she was a Christian that was contrary to her Christian belief, and she wouldn't be able to do the arrangements. She, she recommended three other florists that she said would be good for the job. Uh, she gave Rob a hug and uh, wished him good luck and so forth, and he left. But later, um, things happened, and the ACLU and the Washington Attorney General's Office got wind of it and so forth, and so litigation ensued. And they've sued her for violating Washington anti-discrimination laws. Uh, She lost in the trial court. Uh, She's facing uh, potentially serious sanctions and is under an injunction such that uh, if she doesn't win on her appeal, it's not certain whether she'll be able to continue the business or not. Wow. How much has she been fined? Well, she, uh, <laughs> the interesting thing is the uh, plaintiffs in the case, Ingersoll and Freed, claim damages of $7.91, which was the cost of their um, driving to another florist. But they also asked, and the state asked, for a, a written commitment on her part that she would not decline to do same-sex weddings in the future. Uh, and Baronell feels that she can't do that, make that commitment consistent with her Christian beliefs. So she's been subject to an injunction. And, you know, if she doesn't agree to do it, she's subject to potentially serious fines. I don't remember the exact amount that's being threatened, you know, if she, you know, if she doesn't comply with, uh, agree to comply with the injunction, which, she, again, feels that she can't do. I see. So this is a, making a big case out of $7.91 in damages. Well, that's one way to look at it. That's probably the way I would look at it. But, you know, from the plaintiff's point of view, it involves, you know, as these cases are said to do, they involve uh, dignitary harm and so forth. But uh, this is similar, I think, in some ways to the Stormont's case that also was in the state of Washington, where it seems pretty clear 
that the purpose of some of the activists involved in the case is to is to really push people with these kinds of traditional Christian commitment out of the business. And that's probably what the effect would be uh, if she doesn't get some sort of relief from the court. Now, you filed a friend of the court brief in this case. What was the position that you were urging the court to take? Um, I should say, first of all, that you know I was asked uh, to see whether I'd be interested in doing some sort of an amicus brief, a friend of the court brief, by uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is representing Baronell on behalf of legal scholars. So I was sort of the scribe for this effort, but it was somewhat of a collaborative effort. Uh, I, I'm not the sole author of the brief. Um, I, I drafted the original one and, and served as a scribe after that. But a number, I think there's like about uh, more than two dozen scholars who signed the brief, including some, some pretty eminent ones, I think, in, in this field. So I was happy to see that sort of support. And our basic position is just that um, the facts of this case make it really clear, more clear than it would be in many cases, that she has no objection to employing, to serving, to selling to, and working with people on the basis of sexual orientation, which is what the Washington anti-discrimination law prohibits. Um, it, it discriminates, you know, declining to render services, et cetera, quote, because of race and sexual orientation. And Baronell just really doesn't have any objection to doing that. Her history makes it really clear, you know, that she's very happy to sell to people. Her objection is to uh, personally using her artistic abilities and designing floral arrangements to celebrate a same-sex wedding. So it's basically a particular service that she has a religious objection to providing. She even has indicated she she would be willing to provide just the raw materials, as the pleadings say, the, the uh, flowers that uh, Rob and Kurt could have used or other same-sex couples could use for a wedding. She doesn't want to do the arrangements, you know, do the arrangements because she thinks that is uh, reflects her personal involvement in celebrating something that she believes is contrary to God's law. So our, our argument is, given that position, there's sort of two parts to this. One is she just hasn't violated the law. She hasn't discriminated in the way the law prohibits. But secondly, even if a court were to construe the law differently and say that she did violate it, hers is not the kind of troublesome or... Uh, arguably invidious or offensive religious position that people seem so worried about. People, you know, when they talk about the Indiana law or laws in other states, the sort of nightmare scenario they're always talking about is a merchant who claims on religious grounds that he or she can't sell to uh, gays and lesbians. And that just isn't Baronell's position at all. And so we believe that if um, if a court is to try to come up with any sort of accommodation recognizing both our equality commitments but also our commitments to freedom of religion and freedom of expression. This should be a clear and easy case that should not be held to fall within the anti-discrimination ban. Well, you've said that very clearly, and I think made a very compelling argument for why this is different from just refusing to, um, you know, serve people on the basis of their sexual orientation. Um, I wish I could say I had much confidence in the Washington Supreme Court when it comes to respecting the rights of conscience, but I'm not sure I do. You know, as I was listening to you, I was thinking about a series of cases going back to the 90s that involved landlords refusing to rent to unmarried couples, uh, some of whom may have been gay, some of whom were not. And the notion that 
some of them expressed in those cases that by renting to an unmarried couple, they weren't just renting to a couple who were, quote, living in sin, but that they were themselves partaking of the sin, that it was a sin to do that, um, uh, to facilitate that in some way. And I guess I see some kind of relationship between that perspective and the idea that, you know, she felt that she would be doing something wrong to actively participate in a same-sex wedding by doing the floral arrangement for the wedding. Yeah, I think there is an analogy there, although I guess I think her situation is even more clear and sympathetic from the religious freedom side than the landlords would be. Um, you know, you can imagine a whole, let's say, a spectrum of objections from the hypothetical merchant or landlord who just says, I don't want to do business with gay or lesbian people. I don't actually know whether there have been cases like that, but that's, again, always the scenario that's posed, uh, to a landlord who, uh, especially if it's not like a big hotel chain or anything like that, but just, let, let's say, something like a and b who might feel more personally involved in the renting. Um, but in this case, I think we're even farther down the spectrum because, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Baronel Stutzman doesn't even object to providing the the raw materials. It's just using her artistic gifts, which a landlord might not be doing, really. You know, if you just, you know, we've got a back room, you can use it. The landlord might not have to do any sort of arranging or anything that would be any different for a same-sex couple as for anyone else. But uh, for doing uh, floral arrangements for a wedding is a little different, I think. You know, it really does involve sort of thinking about the situation, figuring out what sort of arrangements will help to make it a festive and happy occasion and so forth. So so I think there really is more personal involvement that's being asked for in that sort of situation than there would be even in the landlord situation. So do you think that the facts or the legal analysis would differ if um, if the florist had um, a series of you know, pre-designed arrangements, and the couple said, I want number C, and there was no, you know, artistic development. Like, you know, I can go online if I'm traveling and I want to send flowers home to my wife. I can go pick out an arrangement online and order and pay for it, and boom, the next day my wife gets a, a bouquet of flowers at the door. Yeah. Um, if it's like that, do you think it, it matters? Well, I think it probably would matter to Baronel Stutzman. I can't, obviously, I'm not even her attorney, so I can't speak for her for certain. But I think uh, my understanding is that if her floral business were one like one that I often go to here locally in San Diego to get flowers for my wife or for, you know, other sorts of occasions where, you know, there's basically a, a room, a, you know, a refrigerated room with a lot of different arrangements or something, and I say, I want one of those for some occasion, uh, even if I were to indicate that it was for a same-sex wedding. I don't think she has an objection to that. I think she sees uh, what was being asked for as a little more individualized, you know, and therefore more personal, um, you know, requiring her to think about this occasion. So I think from her point of view, there would be a difference, although, once again, I, I can't actually speak for her. I, I do know that she made it clear that she wouldn't object to providing the raw materials or just basic flowers for the wedding. Legally, would there be a difference? Maybe that's what you're asking. Would there be a difference? That I, you know, and I don't know whether you're asking whether I think there should be or whether under existing cases there would be and so forth. I think a lot of this is quite unresolved. And in this brief, 
our main argument is, look, there is not just a single important commitment here to equality or anti-discrimination. There's more than one. There's also a very valuable commitment to religious freedom and a valuable commitment to freedom of expression. And not everybody is going to balance those against each other and reach exactly the same conclusion. And it's certainly true that not everybody who signed this brief would reach the same conclusion. I mean, as I say, there are over two dozen signatories, and we wouldn't all agree on exactly how we would want to strike that balance. But we, uh, again, think that this case is about as clear as you can get at one end of the spectrum. So the farther you get from that end of the spectrum, uh, the harder the case is going to be, I think. Well, it sounds to me like if this case loses, uh, freedom of individual conscience is going to be in a very tough place in this country. Yeah, I agree that if this case loses, it's going to be hard to find other cases. Well, I should say that for involving merchants. I mean... It still would be, of course, a different situation if someone asked the minister to perform a same-sex wedding or the church. And a lot of people probably think that would be uh, something that would present different questions and so forth. Sure, sure. But if the idea is, should merchants, once you enter the marketplace, do you just have to check all of your religious convictions at the door? If this case loses, I suggest the answer to that is yes, you have to. And I think that would be sad. Well, we will keep an eye, and maybe we'll have you back after we hear from the Washington Supreme Court. That'd be fine. Our guest today, Professor Stephen Smith from the University of San Diego Law School. We've been talking about the Arlene Flowers case pending before the Washington Supreme Court. Steve, thanks so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Thank you, Alan. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk about religious freedom. We help those suffering religious discrimination, especially employment discrimination. So check out our legal resources page at www.churchstate.org, churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom's Ring.